Well, this week as I was uh, looking back on kind of where we've been so far in our letter of James, there was kind of a central theme that I felt like courses throughout uh, this letter from James. It hinges on something he says back in chapter 1, verse 21, when he talks about this word implanted, which is able to save our souls. He's talking about this transforming truth that we receive from God. And he, he talks about how, how God will use trials to help strengthen our faith in order to make us strong in this truth. And how Satan will tempt us towards lies in order to pull us away from God's truth. And that's why he teaches us to, to be humble and teachable in our hearts. That's why he talks about being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. He wants this word of truth implanted in our hearts to direct our lives. Proving ourselves, as he says, to, to be doers of the word and not just hearers of the word who delude themselves. He's describing a, a dependence on something that we receive. A word implanted, a truth we do not possess on our own. In fact, James warns us not to, to take matters into our own hands and to somehow leverage relationships for personal gain, showing favoritism to, to certain people who might be of some benefit to us, relying on people or positions in life instead of trusting in God's faithful provision. It's learning to put our faith into practice and to walk according to that word that has been implanted in our hearts. As we talked about last time, that's not something you do just once and consider it good. It's a daily surrender from the life we live to the words we speak. Learning to rely on something that we receive and not depend on something that we achieve. I believe this central theme that courses through the letter of James is talking about what it means to cultivate a teachable heart, to, to live with a humble dependence, relying on God for something we do not possess on our own. And I believe we'll see it show up again in our passage this morning. So if you would, turn to James chapter 3, and let's pick up where we left off in verse 13. So James chapter 3, verse 13, if you'll follow along with me. He says in verse 13, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. So, so James is beginning here by, by posing a question to his audience. And as I've tried to argue all along, it's an audience not too different than us. He's trying to help them understand how to navigate life in a world where they're surrounded by compromise. So we ask, what does it look like to, to have wisdom and understanding in this world in which we now live? And he answers that question almost immediately by saying, well, it, it's a wisdom that shows up in how you live. Now, when I first read that, it kind of Sounds a little bit like a Chinese proverb, like the man who chases two rabbits catches neither. I'm not even sure what that means, right? But the answer James gives here is not intended to be confusing. He wants it to be very simple. 
wisdom and understanding from God's perspective is not the accumulation of knowledge. A wise person is not someone who has life figured out. Instead, it's a person who is able to apply God's truth to their daily life. Wisdom is not a person who has all the answers to every one of life's potential scenarios. It's someone who simply understands what it means to do the next right thing. It is a life of faithful obedience because of a heart of humble dependence. A life of faithful obedience because of a heart of humble dependence. So when James asks this question, who among you is wise and understanding? He's not expecting an an intellectual answer. He doesn't want anybody to impress them in all the things that they might have learned. Instead, he says, your wisdom is made evident by taking what you learn and applying it to how you live. That's what wisdom looks like from a biblical perspective. It's the ability to apply God's truth in everyday life. So look at how he continues in verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. I believe James is still speaking to this central theme of truth. The word of truth implanted inside our heart by God. And he's saying if you live in a, a life of bitter jealousy and, and selfish ambition, then you lie against that truth implanted in your heart. Instead of a, a life marked by humble dependence, he's describing an attitude of arrogance. It's the accumulation of, of knowledge that puffs up our pride. It promotes the, the arrogant opinion that that I've got what I need to navigate life on my own. I trust in myself more than I truly daily rely on God. That word in this passage that reads bitter jealousy literally translates as harsh zeal. Harsh zeal. So a person of selfish ambition runs right all over people in their pursuit of the things that they want. Their selfish ambitions become jealous when someone else has what they desire, some influence that they want to have. You see, we lie against the truth when truth becomes only important when it works in our favor. Instead of submitting to the truth of God and being changed by it, We manipulate that truth and use it to our advantage. In the end, it's a game of worldly politics, which we've seen plenty of lately, but it's at play in the church. James says that's what happens when we lie against that truth, when we uh, oppose the truth and plant it in our heart and choose instead to navigate life on our own. Look at how he continues in verse 15. This this wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly. It's natural. It's demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder 
and every evil thing. When people lie against the truth, James says you're relying on a completely different kind of wisdom. In order to do that, they have to reject the wisdom that comes from above and rely on a wisdom of the world. James calls it earthly. I think what he's describing here is is a wisdom that does not have an eternal perspective in mind. It's an understanding that only applies to life this side of heaven, on this earth. It is worldly. It is earthly. Now, I want you to stop for just a minute and consider how dangerous that can be. What if there were no eternal consequences to your earthly decisions? What if you could successfully navigate life without God's truth? What if your decisions were based purely on what seems right to you? That's what he's talking about here. And do you see how potentially dangerous that can be? But that's what it looks like when we rely on a worldly wisdom. It leads us to man-centered decisions, a wisdom that's based purely on my feelings and emotions. That's what reigns supreme. I do what seems right to me. I, I do what comes natural to me. That's what he says. It's, it's earthly. It's natural. James is saying that a, a wisdom that's reserved for this world, a wisdom that comes natural to me, is ultimately not from God. In fact, he says it's demonic. That's strong, isn't it? And I think when he's pointing to that demonic nature, he's talking about something that's deceptive. It's taking a lie and making you believe that it's truth. And the outcome is always destructive because that's what the enemy does. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Look again at verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. Where worldly wisdom is employed, relationships are destroyed. I want you to hear that because it is a recurring biblical truth. Where worldly wisdom is employed, relationships are destroyed. That word uh, disorder literally means to, to rise up against an authority. And I believe in this context, James is talking about the authority of God. This is someone who refuses to relinquish control and, and submit to his truth implanted in their heart. But here's the deception, and listen closely to this. Because by refusing to relinquish control, we are in fact being controlled. And the reason I'm confident of that is because of what Paul writes to the Romans in chapter 6. Paul says that when we obey our lusts, when we follow our natural desires, we let sin reign in our mortal bodies. In other words, we become a slave to sin. And keep in mind, when Paul is writing to the Romans there in chapter 6, he's speaking to believers who by rejecting God's truth become a slave to 
Satan's deception. Which is why worldly rejection is ultimately a rejection of spiritual truth, which in turn is a rejection of God from whom that truth resides. That's why there's disorder. And every evil thing, that when you leave God out, it's the inevitable outcome. When we follow selfish desires, hearts are broken, relationships are destroyed, and we simply cannot navigate life on our own as he intended. So look at how he continues in verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure and peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Boy, you read those verses, that's like a drink of cold water on a hot summer day, isn't it? I mean, what a contrast to disorder in every evil thing. Wisdom from above is first pure, which tells us it's undefiled. Wisdom from God is undefiled by sin. It's uncorrupted from selfish gain. It's a wisdom that is ultimately employed for the common good. In other words, it's not just based on what's good for me. It's based on what's best for us. It's a wisdom that's employed for the common good. That's why it's peaceable. This goes back to that person who's quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. After all, it's really hard to be arrogant about a knowledge of the truth that you didn't come up with on your own, isn't it? Remember, spiritual truth is freely given to us by God. If you would, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I want to read a passage. I want us to look at a passage together. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I want you to listen to what Paul writes to the Corinthians beginning in verse 12. He says, Now we have received not the spirit of this world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God, which things which are also we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised human wisdom is inherently flawed it's an understanding that is absent of an eternal perspective it is a wisdom based on how i feel what i desire what makes sense to me it's ultimately trusting in myself more than relying on god But wisdom from above is different. It is a reliance on God more than I trust myself. It's gentle. It's reasonable. It's full of mercy. All those words describe someone who doesn't have to be in control. This is not someone who has all the answers. They're not striving to impress people or or to please people. They live with a heart of humility. This is a person who is willing to yield. They're quick to give grace. They don't have to be right. Because again, they're relying on a truth that they've received from God. Which tells me your understanding of truth doesn't depend 
on me. We go to the same source for our understanding. So in that sense, we're all learning together. Worldly wisdom is often competitive. Spiritual wisdom is a shared pursuit. It's a life of integrity, of of mutual responsibility, and undivided loyalty to God. Our hearts are set on Him, and our shared desire is to give Him the glory. And we're eager to learn from His perspective. Again, we trust God more than we trust ourselves. I love how that last verse kind of puts this together. Look again at verse 18 when it says, The seed of whose faith, excuse me, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I believe what he's describing here is the effect of godly wisdom in the life of a community of believers who are walking with Christ. It's saying that righteousness will flourish in a context of peace. It starts with a seed. Watch the progression here. It it starts with a seed. I believe that's the word implanted that we receive from God. And when we trust in Him, that seed begins to grow in the fertile ground of faith. And as it does, it produces a, a harvest of righteousness. It produces fruit of the Spirit. I think that's ultimately what James is talking about. Just look again at what he lists there in verse 17. Pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable. It's good. Doesn't that remind you of Galatians and the fruit of the Spirit that's being listed there? And let me ask you this. What is hidden inside every piece of fruit? Seed. And so when we produce a harvest of faith and share that in the lives of others, we are depositing within them a seed of truth, having been received from God. And that harvest of righteousness flourishes in a context of peace. So one of my favorite things when we go backpacking, one of my favorite things when we have the opportunity, if it's a part of the trail, is to walk through an aspen grove. Anybody ever walk through an aspen grove? Oh, it's majestic. I mean, the leaves are like little chimes in the wind. This time of year is perfect because they turn the most beautiful, bright, golden color you've ever seen. I love walking through aspen groves. And and if you walk through aspen grove, you're going to see big, tall, huge aspens, and then you're going to see little sprouts that have come out of the ground. What's interesting about uh, aspen trees is that they don't live as long as most other trees. And so that you know that a forest is healthy when you see both strong and tall trees along with new growth. And I believe the same thing is true in a church. You know a church is healthy when you see the evidence of new growth right alongside those who are standing strong and tall. When that seed of truth planted in our heart is ultimately shared with other people. Growing together, just like an aspen grove. I think maybe that's what Paul has in mind when he writes to the Philippians and he says that we're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together, growing in our faith. Isn't that a great picture of what I think James is referring to here? So as we kind of put all this together, I want to encourage you to kind of go down a path with me to finish things up this morning. I want us to think about what it means 
to uh, allow this seed of truth implanted in our hearts to, to grow and to flourish in our life. And here's how I want you to do it. I want you to kind of consider it from a natural perspective. I couldn't help but think of my dad when I thought about this uh, this week. My dad is a gardener, and, and every year he cultivates the ground. He, he plants the seed and then protects the plant, and then he always shares the harvest with those around him, especially us. We have more cucumbers coming out of our ears than we know what to do with. But it's really great. And so I want us to think about that seed of truth implanted in our heart from that same perspective. What does it mean to cultivate the ground? What does it mean to protect your faith as it starts to grow? And what does it mean to share the harvest as that righteousness flourishes? So so let's do that together. From a spiritual perspective, humble dependence is fertile ground for faith to grow. So if you want to cultivate a teachable heart, humble dependence is fertile ground for faith to grow. We grow in wisdom when we grow in our knowledge of God. Faith is not just an intellectual pursuit. It's righteousness that flourishes in the context of a relationship. Learning to apply His truth to our daily lives. And here's what's awesome. And I want you to think about it from this perspective. I believe what James is describing here is a faith that believes that God is preparing us for things that we don't see coming. God is preparing us for things that we don't see coming. That when we abide in His truth, He is equipping us for wherever He might be leading us. He's teaching us what it looks like to do the next right thing. Growing our faith is always connected to a relationship with Christ. By cultivating a a teachable heart, we look expectantly for how He wants us to apply these truths He is teaching us. Relying on God's truth to to navigate our life. It's a prayer that says, Lord, I'm going to spend time in Your Word looking expectantly for how You might want to use this in my life. It's a humble dependence. That's fertile ground for faith to grow. Let me give you an example from my own life. So right now I'm reading through Haggai as a part of my uh, daily reading. And to be honest with you, when you come into those Old Testament books, sometimes you think, Haggai? How many of y'all have ever done a Bible study on Haggai, right? Not too many. So it's easy just to kind of breeze past those things. But I'm telling you, if we will take the time to ask the Lord, to reveal a truth that is important for how we live, it will be amazing what shows up in those nondescript books. For example, as I was reading Haggai, here's what I wrote in my journal. In Haggai, God confronts the Israelites for working hard to get their house in order before they begin working on the temple. But the Lord explains how He has limited the success of their selfish interests until they give their devotion to God as their greatest priority. How relevant this is for me. How easy it is to get our house in order with family and personal success over the sacrificial service, sacrificial service and worship of God alone in Haggai. And I believe that when we go into his word with a humble heart, 
It becomes fertile ground for seeds of truth to be planted that apply to our daily lives. We need God's Word. And we need to see it through the lens of a relationship. God wants to guide our lives. He wants to see our faith grow. And and a teachable heart looks expectantly for how His Word might equip us for where He's leading us. His Word guides us. His Word protects us. So Grant and I started this week memorizing some passages from Proverbs, right? And we talked about when we entered into Proverbs that Proverbs is basically a a letter written from a father to a son, a dad who wants to see his son flourish in life. And that's what Proverbs is all about. And as I thought about that, as I looked at our passage this morning, I thought, but that's the whole Bible. It's a letter from a heavenly father who wants to see his children flourish in life. He wants the very best for his children, so his word is intended to guide and direct us to the goodness built into his design. So I'm going to read from Proverbs chapter 4, and I want you to just listen as if this were a letter from our Heavenly Father to you, his most special child, and listen to the comfort and care of these words. Chapter 4, verse 20 says, My child, give attention to my words, Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not depart from, don't, do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life for those who find them. Health to your whole body. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for, fl- for from it flow springs of, of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and Put devious lips far from you. Let your eyes look directly ahead. Let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Turn your foot from evil. Put your trust in me. I really believe that when you read those words, you hear the heart of God that is seen throughout the Scripture. And if we can go to his word with that understanding in mind, I think that's where we see his truth come alive. God wants us to stay protected within the boundaries of his word. He wants us to guard our heart, to to guide our steps. It's like Jeremiah says, God has plans for you to prosper, not to fail. He wants you to know about hope and future promises that are yet to be revealed. When we have a teachable heart, that's what we learn. And when that's what we learn, that's what we share. That's the harvest. And that's what we want to share with others. How many of you were really blessed by what the Scarboroughs had to say last week? I mean, can't imagine you being here and not being blessed in some way by the truth embedded in their testimony. And one of the reasons I believe we were blessed, because I was too, is because in sharing the fruit of their faith, they planted a seed of truth in each of our lives. And, And I want you to imagine with me just for a moment, if that became the heartbeat of a community of believers who were committed to living life together. Can you imagine the harvest of faith that would take place in a church like that, 
where we are consistently committed to living life together, sharing love, sharing truth in love, bearing one another's burdens, committed to God's Word and sharing what God's teaching us. Because very often, and you've seen this before, and I bet it happened to you when you heard their testimony, there was something that they said that was truth from God that was important for your life where you're at right now. That His truth has a way of working into our heart to guide us for where He's leading us and preparing us for things yet to come. I hope you can see this morning that when we talk about the truth of God's Word and the wisdom from above, that we're talking about the love of a Heavenly Father who wants what's best for His kids. And when we spend time in His Word, it's not to become intellectual in order to impress people. It's in order to become humble in order to care for people. To enter into hard places with those who are hurting and to love them because of the way you've been loved by Him. So with that in mind, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you and I think I share with the folks in this room that we want to be that kind of community that's filled with not only those who are standing strong in their faith, but those who are growing in their faith. That you would help us learn how to love one another with love and good deeds. That we would be strengthened, standing firm with one mind and one spirit, growing in our faith. Father, help us not to trust in ourselves more than we rely on your word. But instead, through a heart of humble dependence, we would create fertile ground for our faith to grow, to take root. Knowing that you are equipping us for wherever you're leading us. Things that we don't see coming that are in full view from your perspective. That you want to help us navigate life, even through hard times, to experience your goodness in the midst of it. So, Father, guide us and direct us. Show us your way. We confess as a community that we need you, and we want to trust in you more than we trust ourselves. We pray this in your name. Amen.